The epistle reading is from Philippians, the third chapter. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. This evening, I would like everyone to think about the ways in which we are intimidated. Intimidated by the three great enemies of faith. Our enemies are our own sinful nature, our sins inside our own lives, our own hearts. We're intimidated by the world and its uh, being lost in sin. And we're finally intimidated by the instigator of sin himself, that is the devil. But we're also encouraged and strengthened in our faith by the three great means of grace that God gives us. His word, promises in baptism, promises in holy communion. Psalm 126 is our subject, and you can follow along with that in the bulletin. Um, it's a beautiful psalm, very appropriate for this fifth Sunday in Lent, where we heard the gospel reading about Jesus prophesying with that parable 
of his own rejection, and even more so than that, his own violent and unjust death. This is a beautiful psalm encouraging us when we feel intimidated in any way by the sin that is within or the sin that is without. So let's take a look at the background of this psalm first of all. This is Psalm 126, and it's part of a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascents. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These were the psalms that the Israelites sang when they went to the temple. So the Israelites studied the Bible in their synagogues and at home. But they were also to worship the Lord, and they would go up several times a year to Jerusalem. And no matter what direction you came from, north, south, east, or west, Jerusalem is a city literally built on a hill. And so you always go up when you go to Jerusalem. And these were the songs, great songs of joy that they sang on their way to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this psalm begins with a praise to God for being released from captivity. And captivity is an important theme for the Israelites. If you know anything about Israel, uh, you know that they were captives in Egypt for over 400 years. Uh, you know that they were captive in Babylon for 70 years. But the Bible also uses this image of captivity to refer to the bigger problem of our captivity to sin. So Psalm 85 begins this way, beautiful words, Lord, you brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered their sin. Jesus uses the same image in his preaching and teaching. He says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And he goes on to say, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The psalm begins by praising God for our release from the captivity of sin. Again, the sin within our own hearts, but also the sin of other people that may do intimidating things to us. We are freed from that captivity. Then it goes on to give us two more beautiful pictures of God's encouragement against any kind of intimidation. One image is the streams or the wadis in the Negev. The Negev is this depth to the south of Jerusalem, very barren, and it has these old, old ravines or wadis. Most of the year they're dry, but uh, when the rains come, they flood with water. But the other image is the one that I really want to focus on the most, and that's the agricultural image of when we are faced with intimidation, we can sow in tears, but reap in joy. Let me explain a little bit more about that. I don't know if they're still doing it, but at Concordia Seminary, years ago at least, almost all of the students had to take assertiveness training. Pastor Adel, did you have to take assertiveness training? Now, why do you think that might be? Probably because pastors, you know, try to be nice guys, and try to make sure everybody's happy. And if you live in the real world, you find out real quickly that that, that just doesn't work. Ask any first-year teacher 
who begins teaching and walks into his or her classroom thinking, I'm going to be the nicest teacher in the world and all my students are really going to love me. And about three weeks later, they're ready to quit. So we need assertiveness when it comes to the problems of intimidation that we face in the world around us. I had three great lessons in intimidation. I didn't go through any intimidation course, uh, but assertiveness course, but I I learned it, I guess, on the streets. The first lesson, the first rule of assertiveness that I learned was on my vicarage by the saint. uh, My pastor there was the sainted David Meyer, a little wiry guy, but tough as nails. I'll never forget him telling me, Vicar, you've got to get alligator skin if you are going to survive in the ministry. And that brings up this very important rule of assertiveness. You cannot let the intimidator get to your soul. You've got to protect yourself from that. Your soul is very, very important. The second lesson I got was a few years later when I was a campus pastor in Nebraska. And there were some very serious theological differences that arose between our campus ministry and another Lutheran campus ministry. Really, it wasn't Lutheran at all, and that was part of the problem. Anyway, they got really upset with me when I disagreed with some of their teachings. And they called me a schismatic and a troubler and all kinds of things like that. I can never forget one meeting we had, and they were getting amped up in their rhetoric and there was a pastor, kind of my supervising pastor from the district with us that evening. His name was Pastor John Reel. John Reel was an army chaplain as well as a pastor. And as uh, the intimidation uh, was rising, uh, John just kind of leaned forward and he said, you trying to intimidate me? And that just put a big chill in the whole thing. And that's the second rule of assertiveness. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. Put the cards out on the table. If you want to have a fight, then I guess we're going to have a fight. Third rule, though, is the most important. You can figure out, anybody can figure out those first two. But the third rule comes from God himself. And I learned this lesson when I took a group of college students to Corpus Christi, Texas, to work at a Hispanic mission church there. And I met an interesting pastor by the name of Dennis Schiefelbein. He worked in a really rough area of Corpus Christi. And you would think that a white pastor of German descent would have really been intimidated as he was trying to carry the gospel into this community. But amazingly, he wasn't. And it didn't take long before I I realized this most, most important rule of assertiveness. And that was ready to die for your faith. Schiefelbein called it surviving by being a non-survivor. Until you're ready to die, you'll never be ready to live. You'll never be able to fight. You'll never really be able to survive. People work against the will of God. They shame, they humiliate, they persecute if they can get away with it. And that is why it's so important for us to learn the lesson of sowing in tears. So what does that mean? Well, so sow in tears really is referring to a seed. So what's the seed? 
What kind of seed could possibly make a difference for us in our lives? And in terms of the captivity that we face, whether it be a captivity of of sins that we've committed and the accusations and intimidation that the devil is constantly bringing forward to us, or or the the sins of the world as as they try to intimidate us, uh, constantly being urged on by, by the devil himself. What seed is it that will save us in that situation? What can we sow that would make a difference? And of course, the answer to that is God's Word. In the Bible, the Word of God is often compared to a seed. And so what the psalmist is saying is that we sow in tears. We let the Word of God, we bring the Word of God into our hearts. And that Word of God does some very important things. One of the first things it does is it demolishes our pride. And it humiliates us. We just confessed our sins. We use some pretty, uh, pretty strong language there, right? Forgive the iniquity of my sin. I, a poor, miserable sinner. Those are strong words, important words, and words that are part of the sowing in tears Uh, work that God always wants to bring us through. Why is it so important? Because it's our pride that the devil uses to manipulate us. It's our fear of the world and what they think of us and what they can do to us that puts us as putty in their hands. But when that pride has been demolished and when we've been humiliated by God they have nothing to work with. They have nothing at all to manipulate us with. And if you have to be demolished, if you have to be humiliated, then thank God it's God that does it to you. Because He doesn't do it to hurt you. He doesn't do it to shame you, but rather to save you. And so after that, He gives you this forgiveness. What's forgiveness? God takes away your sin replaces it with His holiness and with His righteousness. And if you want to think about anything in life that will give you strength to stand up, to face the devil himself or the devil's acolytes in this world, it's righteousness that gives you that strength, the righteousness of the truth of God's Word. Now, the most beautiful thing to think about here this evening is the way Jesus sowed in tears. Jesus, of course, had the Word of God in His heart. Jesus was the very Word of God in the flesh. And so if there was anybody who ever sowed in tears in this world, it was Jesus. For Jesus, it wasn't repenting of sins because He had no sin. But it was something even more amazing than that. It was Jesus owning our sins, taking our sins into Himself, bearing them to the cross, facing humiliation, the greatest humiliation of the world, sowing in tears as we are told in the Garden of Gethsemane, His sweat fell like great drops of blood. But in all of that, Jesus, sowing in tears, was not intimidated. And we see it in his prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. And we see it in his trial before Pilate. And we see it, of course, in his words from the cross. All words of confidence. All words of 
the righteousness of God that was his, even in great suffering and pain. And so that leads us from sowing in tears to reaping in joy. What is that all about? Well, think again about some of the things that may be intimidating to you right now, whatever it is. Maybe family problems or work problems. Um, It may be some sins that you have been struggling with in your own life and just the problems they bring and the guilt and despair and, and accusations from the devil. Think about those and now, like Jesus, uh, Uh, sow in tears so that you can reap in joy. Pray to God. Bring that word of God into your heart that you might be led to repent of sin and pride. And now Satan has no power over you because of that. Repent of any wrongdoing. And if you are facing sins from the outside world, cling fast and confess Faithfully, the righteousness of God. What will happen next when you do that? Well, one of three things can happen. First of all, those who are trying to intimidate you may see the power of God inside of you, and they may become intimidated themselves and will back down. Or they may just continue going along, making life rough for you. But you can stand it like an oaken ship that can handle these waves and and attacks. But finally, they also might rise up in a rage like they did against Stephen and stoned him to death. Or like they did against Jesus and, of course, crucified him to death. But the promise is still sure. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. So how did Stephen and Jesus reap in joy? Well, Stephen was stoned to death and there was a young man watching all of this by the name of Saul. Later on, Saul would receive a vision from Jesus and he would become St. Paul, the greatest, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. The promise is sure, those who sow in tears will reap in joy one way or the other in the long and ultimate run. And of course, Jesus rose again on the third day. His disciples were also grieved by what they saw happen to him. But after three days, he rose from the dead And they also became missionaries. And not even the power of the Roman government, the pantheon of Roman gods, the crazy violence of the barbarian world around them, none of that intimidated them. They were called from the power of Satan to God to receive the forgiveness of sins, and they were eager to bring everyone else that God was calling to that same thing as well. I mentioned in my sermon from January, I think it was January 30th, of a uh, trial that was taking place in Finland. A Lutheran pastor was on trial, also one of his members who was a politician in the parliament of Finland. And they were on trial because of what they taught about human sexuality and human marriage. People called that hate speech. And so they were facing a very serious charge and uh, paying uh, hefty fines possibly, but just most recently we found out that they were completely acquitted of all the accusations. That happened because they refused to be intimidated. And they did a lot of sowing in tears. I'm sure they did a lot of soul searching to make sure that they hadn't sinned themselves. 
And they did a lot of soul searching to hold on to the righteousness of Christ in them no matter what. And by God's grace, they prevailed. You know, the word timid is in the word intimidation. And if you think about it, the intimidators, whatever they are, are successful only when we let them be successful, only when we are timid ourselves, and then they can manipulate us. St. Paul was worried that one of his first pastors that he ordained, uh, one of the first pastors of the Christian church, Timothy, would be this way. He was afraid that Timothy would be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus our Lord. And so Paul urged Timothy instead to cling fast to the Lord and to realize the truth of God's word that nothing can intimidate us, nothing can shame us away from the Lord. That's the power of God working in our hearts. For as Paul said to Timothy, and he says to all of us, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. All of that is described for us in a very beautiful way in Psalm 126, sowing in tears and reaping in joy. May the Lord continue to bless us and keep us from being intimidated by anything within us or outside of us. And may we also be able to continue to bring others into that same power and uh, love and self-control that God has given to us in Jesus. As we just sang in this hymn, To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. Amen. Please rise.